According to a recent study, 75% of people will experience a traumatic event sometime in their life. And oftentimes when we think about these events, we think of getting past it, what life's gonna look like on the other side. But what we need to focus on is how to get through the day by day as you're sitting in the trenches. And that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about today with Brandy Zenzel on Sitting with the Suck. All the nutrition information out there today, everything's conflicting, completely confusing. How are we supposed to be healthy if even the experts can't agree? This is Outspoken Nutrition. I'm your host, Laura Timbrook, and we're gonna break it all down. Well, Brandy, thank you so much for joining us on the Outspoken Nutrition Podcast today. I am really excited about this conversation. You know, I think when we were talking before this podcast, Everything when it comes to when you're going through a hard time is always spun on the positive side. You know, like it'll get better or look for the, you know, look for the lessons and things like that. But that's hard to do when you're literally sitting in the suck. And I know you have so much knowledge about that. So I'm really excited about (laughs) talking about this. Oh, I'm so glad you're excited, Laura. Thank you for having me. I I should welcome this conversation about sitting in the suck because like you said, I have been there, uh, but I would so love to be on that positivity side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we always do want to see that positive end of it. And, you know, I had an issue with my daughters now that they're going to high school and high school just started back up again. And they were just having a bad day. And, you know, I was letting them vent a little bit. And my one daughter looked at me. She goes, I know, mom, I should just find the lesson in in this. And I realized in that moment where all these times I was telling her, find the lesson, find the bright side, I was really not listening to her when she's sitting in that moment of things just suck and acknowledging it and being present in it. Yeah, that's profound. Yeah. yeah I, I I think when, you know, I too have daughters, um, one's now 30 and the other's 27. And I think it's my younger daughter who, uh, her bent is to be real. And my oldest daughter is more, you know, always, you know, tigger, you know, roll it out and land on your feet kind of thing. So um, I think it was my younger daughter that taught me early on, stop smoothing over my pain. And I thought, that's not what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm trying to comfort, but I am, whoa. And I think that was the beginning of getting my attention. Yeah, that is really profound to have your daughter even bring that up and was like, let me, let me feel this. And I know you have an amazing story and I really want you to be able to share this story and how you kind of, you know, became very resilient and how you have kind of learned to deal with this. So you want to go ahead and share that story about your husband with us? Sure. Um, Because I'm thinking, oh, you better point me into which story (laughs) because I have a lot. I I could be a lifetime movie all in one package, Uh, probably several. (laughs) Uh, So in 2000. Four, um, my husband sustained a traumatic head injury just walking the dog. Uh, we should have named the dog Houdini. He always found a way to get out of the backyard. And this was a day of escape once again. And my husband was busy, had to get to things. I was in the middle of work. We both um, had businesses of our own, but right. And so he went running down to get the dog. I was already dressed um, professionally. So thank you, Sean. And then I 
didn't realize he did. I didn't know if he just got the dog in the garage and had taken off, but I didn't. It was like some time before I realized he had not come inside. And um, turns out he had fallen, gotten pulled off his feet, and then life had never has never been the same again. And uh, I am all about finding the good, seeing the silver lining, landing on your feet. Let me show you the bright side, Pollyanna moments. That is, you know, I love that stuff. And yet um, when, you know, six months turned into a year, turned into a few years, turned into a decade of frustration, pain, loss, anger, life never being the same. I kept thinking that somehow we would be able to find that thing, whether it was through counseling, medication, you know, that, you know, behavior modification, like you name it. I self-helped it. I tried to figure it out and we weren't figuring it out. And uh, there was a moment in particular, 10 years after the accident where we had been fighting a lot. And honestly, I'd gotten um, bitter and uh, angry and losing my hope in terms of, is this ever going to get better? Um, And feeling like my husband was in there, but I didn't know how to help him bring his best self out. And he was frustrated that I kept trying to fix him um, and not, like you said in the introduction, not allow him to process through his current reality. I kept saying, but you know, but you didn't die and um, you don't have this and look at what you do have. And you know, look at what we've been able to manage. And I kept trying to, here's the positive, but here's the positive. And he finally, in this counseling moment, the counselor looked at me and said, your husband's trying to tell you something. And I'm like, on the edge of my seat, like, yeah, I'm listening. That's why we're here. Right. And uh, he's like, your husband's trying to help you understand. He's trying to ask you this question. Will you be there if things never get better? And I was like, well, I am here. That's why I'm here. Like, things haven't gotten better and I'm here. I'm still here. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me rephrase this. Things aren't getting better. Are you still going to be there? Wow. And that when I just was, I mean, my husband looked like a puppy dog face and tears in his eyes. Like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You can't, we can't go back. Like we're not getting our old life back. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, we've got to grieve. We've lost something that we can't get back. We've lost a dream. We've lost years. We've lost really connecting in a real way. And my attitude about just trying to find, you know, the positive has not served this season at all. What do we do now? That's such a gut punch moment. Because even as you're telling the story right now, I'm tearing up because it's just, I. that was when you told me that story originally before we started this podcast episode. And it was just, I knew people needed to hear that. Because I think so many times in every self-help book I have ever read, and there's been quite a few, as I'm sure you have had to, is it's always that positive spin. And we're not having these conversations on sitting in the suck. What do we do? Grieving the loss of something. And I think that is just powerful being able to acknowledge that. So what were some of the ways that you kind of dealt with this and, you know, grieve that process? Well, I think first of all, I heard that, but I didn't really hear it. Like I 
I was shocked. Like, and they say that's part of grief is, you know, that disbelief and not really sure how to acknowledge and process things. So I felt like I was there again. And uh, so I went about my day and went right into the next thing. And looking back, I'm not even sure if it was the same day, but if not, it was like that same weekend. And a woman started talking about the loss of her husband. And I, I, an uncontrollable sob escaped my body in a public setting. (laughs) And I realized what she was saying was exactly how I was feeling. That's when it started piecing together. Like this is truly grief. I have lost something and I have not, I have stuffed the sadness. I skipped over, you know, into other aspects of grief, but I totally tried to circumvent the sadness and I needed help. I did not know how to do that. I didn't know many people who had not actually lost a person. I didn't know, I didn't even know where to go with it. So it took me a while. Um, There was a a pastor who had recently at that season lost um, his son to mental illness, suicide. And it's Rick Warren and uh, a friend of his, uh, I mean, a friend of mine who attended his church sent me at the time, probably the audio link, but it was steps of understanding that and learning how to just be still with it. Like you're saying, how to sit with it. I wanted to run away from it. That was really my instinct was, I don't think I can sit with this. This is too hard. It does take a moment to sit, to be still with that, because I think especially if you are the type of person that it sounds like you are, you're you're that positive energy. You're that bright light in a dark room. And sometimes you really just need to sit in that dark room. And that's got to be, I imagine it's very yeah. uncomfortable. And I think as you're saying that, that is exactly part of why I was afraid to do it. Because I thought if I allow myself into that dark space to sit quietly you know, with maybe a candle lit, like that's all I got left in there. What will happen to everyone else? What will people think of me? How can I keep going? What if I can't get out? What if this, what if my joy never comes back? What if, what will this journey, where will this journey take me? I've never let myself be on this journey before. And, um, and then the good thing is, as you allow yourself to put put it for me, I journal. So I started to put pen to paper about my thoughts. And then I was able to start talking through some of that with some close friends. And then I started to, then they were allowed to speak pieces of that sadness and processing grief in other ways in their life with me that started to give me tools and open up conversations for me. It was okay for me to be that way. I love that you just said that because really what we're talking about this month is about those relationships. And it really sounded like having those relationships, those true friends, being able to allow you this space of grief. And not only that, but as you're saying that, I realized like one friend in particular came into my life at that season. She's a dear, dear friend because of that season. Um, But she had just gone through the loss of a marriage, a 20 plus year marriage. She came into my life and she was new to the area. We got partnered through a recommendation of someone who knew her and had met me. And it was, we, we talk about how we clicked because of that pain, but we didn't, both of us wanted a way out of the pain, 
But because we were trying to find our way out, we found our way through together. Yeah, that's pretty, that's really amazing that you were able to kind of get through that. And I think this is such a a real conversation because yeah, having those relationships, having those friendships, knowing that somebody else is going through that grief or maybe they've gotten through it and they're holding your hand through it. Or maybe like you and your friend, you're both figuring your way out through it together. I mean, that's that's powerful. Oh, yeah. And I will say, I once I started figuring this out, that I had shut this wall, this part off of me, I realized how I was walling that off, like I, my daughter said, in her, in other friends in my husband, which is why he was crying out here. It wasn't that other people weren't feeling it. I just wasn't allowing them to feel it with me because I wasn't allowing myself to feel it. So I was losing out on a deeper sense of real friendship and and real withness, if you will, with someone because I had gotten comfortable with that sort of pain. Yeah. And I'm a, I can imagine too, as you're going through this, it I'm I'm sure it's really difficult, but I'm sure at some level, it's almost like a weight being lifted off. Eventually, it totally was. Again, in the moment, it's like, I'm sure you're, you know, you're an expert with health and wellness and diet and physical um, habits changing. And I would imagine it's a lot like when you start a program, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, you can you can only use so much willpower to get your you through. You've got to have all these other things lined up for a true long term outcome uh, that's going to benefit you uh, to keep, maintain that right. And I all I could feel was the weight of the necessary change that my husband was asking from me, that my daughter was asking from me, and just standing there with the weight of that thing on me thinking, I want to, but can I, do I have to fake it? And that's what I love about when you do start seeking that out with a a willingness and a wholeheartedness, because I wanted it to be that for them. And I wanted it for myself when I realized I was really hurting that way, allowing myself to day by day fail and fall through it. Like it was, it was going to be ugly, ugly cry sometimes. And as you're talking about this, the one thing, you know, you made a really good connection with what you were going through and something that a lot of us can relate to, which is kind of going through that diet you go through and it's just difficult and you're trying to willpower your way through. But what I hear you saying is you really found your intrinsic motivator. You wanted this so much for yourself that that was your motivation to move forward and to wade through the suck to sit in that darkness and really work and I'm sure it's a fight to try to get out of that but you did and I will say it if I'm in my very honest the change has been permanent and it couldn't have come at a better time because we had, of course, other losses that came through that. Just this month, I lost my mom, as you know. And um, it has been so helpful to feel, allow myself to feel that emptiness, allow myself to feel um, the the strangeness of, of the anger that I have uh, towards the cancer or towards maybe things that we wanted to do that were incomplete or conversations we didn't quite forge through. And, you know, and because I'm now familiar with sadness and that sadness is not my enemy, it's a friend that it is an aspect of me that honors the 
the joy side of things. If I have true joy, then I have to have true sadness. If I have true love, then I have to have true loss when that love is gone. It is, it is the balance of my life. It is not the, the thing to avoid this monster that will just take me down. It actually brings me back um, if I embrace it in a healthy way. Having that understanding that you can't have one without the other and embracing it. I mean, when you said sadness is actually your joy, and it's not because the sadness brings you joy, but it, you know what it's like on the other side. And being able to not only have that experience and to build that resilience through it, because essentially that's what this is. You've built this resilience, but you're not only showing your other family members how to do it, your kids, and that is something that they will only teach moving forward. Yeah. So I'm not afraid of, I'm not a scared of the sadness anymore. That's powerful because I think so many people, you can be in that darkness and be totally lost and literally stuck in it, or you can feel it and then kind of being in that dark hole and literally feeling your way out of that. It sounds like that's really kind of your recipe for success on that. It, it is. And, but I was going to say that it did take me a while. Like it wasn't um, when I started to embrace it, it probably took me because I didn't, it, it was so unfamiliar, right? So it was a, a, a start to embrace and then I fell off a cliff and then I, I you know, finally get feel like I was getting out of a hole and then I would fake it again and say, I don't want to be in that hole again. So I didn't, I didn't know that how to, it was just so much that I hadn't processed through. So it felt like it hit me hard over and over. And, um, and yet I knew that I could tell I was onto something and that I couldn't quit, but it took me years I'm not going to lie. It was years. And um, because there was, I mean, but think about it. If you've built up, I'm over, you know, I'm almost 50 now. And at this point, the accident happened and my husband was 35. He's 51 now. So that was 45 when we had that conversation. And then for me to process, you know, 40 years of sadness, uh, that uh, disappointments in my life that I'd never really processed the, you know, ways that people treated me or how I had treated others, or, you know, realizing that as I embrace the sadness that, you know, how bad a friend I was sometimes when, when people lose a pet or a friend or, or have to move out of the area and say, I don't want to make friends again because that hurt too much. And I would just be like, I don't get it. And I, it's because I wouldn't access this part of myself. So realizing all this stuff at one time was just overwhelming. But then, and so I had to step back and then re-engage and then step back and re-engage. And, and like I said, I had great friends, my husband walking uh, us doing that together, walking through it with my daughters in a fresh way was just so healing because then those who had that experience were gracious to me and gave me books to read and, you know, um, yoga classes to take. I remember getting in a yoga class and the woman came by with like an oil and I just started busting out crying when she touched my head. Like I was like, what is this? But it was in there and it needed to come out. And eventually, you know, the, the tears subsided. It wasn't as frequent. Eventually the journaling wasn't as long. Eventually I was able to talk more and and process things as they were happening versus, you know, avoiding and storing things up. And it made a huge difference. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to thank you for being honest on that because I think sometimes we, we gloss over that pain and how long things take 
you know, even as simple as someone on a diet, we see somebody lose 40 pounds. It's like, oh, that was overnight. But yet we don't realize for nine months they've struggled each step of the way to get those results. So I want to acknowledge that your realness in this and that it wasn't something that took you, you know, two weeks to get through. This was, it was a long, hard, I'm sure agonizing process. (laughs) It was. And at one point I remember going to the doctor going, okay, I think something's wrong with me. Can you check my blood? Can you check everything? Like check my hormones, check everything. Because I was just certain that it was, I just needed to get something else in balance because this was so wonky. Um, But I think part of it was, it was just, it just, it just took time. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that you had that support system. I think that's so important. And, you know, the idea of journaling, I know so many people think journaling is one of these things that it's kind of like woo woo, you know, like, oh, it doesn't really make a difference. But you know what? Journaling allows people to get those inner thoughts out. I was early in my coaching career. I remember having a woman and she just had a lot of anger, but she was very much the bright light in the family, always positive. And I know at one point we were going through some things and she's like, you know, sometimes I'm just tired of being happy. And I always knew her as like this bubbly person. And she tells me this and I was like, okay. So we were talking about journaling and she's like, I am not doing that. And you know, the next session we had, she's like, I started journaling and she gets really close and whispers to me, it's all curse words. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) She had a journal of everything she wanted to tell people. She's like, I feel like I took, you know, the last 55 years and threw it into this journal of everything I've ever wanted to say to people that I never did because I was the polite Southern girl to like bite my tongue. And the funny thing was she actually kept the journal under lock and key because she was afraid if something were to happen to her, people would read it and think differently. Yeah, but it was funny because it really did. That journaling really kind of allowed her to voice these things that she wasn't even willing to say to her best friend. And um, it, at that point, I realized how important journaling really was. And it doesn't have to be the typical 18-year-old stories we think of that as we write in our journal. Sometimes it can just be true rubbish yeah just because of that's what something we need to get out so good and the thing about that is it's just you you in that page it could be a couple sentences um sometimes it's you know uh, a symbol or a dream like i i in that season i had a lot of weird dreams that were kind of I'd wake up with and I was just able to put it down on paper and kind of get it off my chest and get it off my spirit, like, and then give it a few days and you'd go back and you'd be like, uh, you'd have a whole different perspective over that thing that was upsetting you, making you angry, causing you a restless night's sleep. And that was very therapeutic. Sometimes it didn't, wasn't right away. Sometimes it was like your friend, you know, uh, that, that client where you, you just put it down and you realize at least that toxicity isn't in me anymore. I don't need to let it roll around in my head. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's not under someone else's care either. You're not burdening someone else with these thoughts that I know my husband said sometimes he's like, if you only knew what I was thinking, there's so such dark thoughts and and there's nothing wrong with thinking dark thought it, it we all have those thoughts that or you know surprising things like why am i thinking this i feel i feel bad about myself but you're accountable for what you act on so 
you know, I'm not meditating on those thoughts. You just have those fleeting thoughts of, you know, sometimes even just saying something like you idiot, like I don't really think of myself as an idiot, but sometimes that was just a bonehead move. And I need to, you know, call that out. And if I put it down in that journal and then a lot of times after a season, I'll, sometimes I'll keep them. Sometimes I just shred them and let it go. Yeah. I should find out what she ever did. If she like kept them locked up or she got rid of them. <laughs> But, you know, you bring an interesting um, thought to the conversation here when you said, you know, sometimes about burdening people with thoughts. And I don't think we often think about that because it's something that, yeah, once something leaves your mouth, we tell our kids this all the time, once something leaves your mouth, you can't take it back. You can apologize for how it might have hurt somebody or affected them. But you can't, it's not like an email where you could retract the email. Yeah. And I've learned there are safe people. And so this is something I think is really important to address that uh, if you don't know someone or you don't, you haven't moved towards trust with someone, you know, I used to just trust everyone and then find out later. And that was not a good move. I learned at an actually young age. Um, I've got to guard my words and test the trust. And so I'd give little things and see if that was, you know, something they could keep a confidence with. And then I could build on it and build on it. And so if I could build on it, then sometimes I needed to process something through with someone. But I did realize, you know, again, through some mistakes, that was sometimes a cross that that person would then have to bear. And, and I didn't ask their permission if they were willing to bear it basically for the rest of their lives. You know, having a counselor, if I need to really talk something through where they don't, you know, they're not my best friend. They don't know my husband. They don't know my kids. They don't know, you know, the people at church or whatever it is. Um, there's just no temptation then for that to have to leak out or journaling. That's a, or praying. That's another reason I write. I love the idea that you were talking about you know, oftentimes if we're venting to our friends or stuff, we generally don't ask permission, but you're right. Sometimes you are left with something that you're like, oh, I totally wish somebody didn't tell me that. Yeah. And it does put this level of burden on. So I, I think it is important to have an external source mm-hmm. that can be of some kind of confidence, like a therapist, prayer, something that has that where you're not burdening somebody and it's not it's important and maybe it is a journal maybe you don't have these other support systems but I do think that is a really important part to your kind of recipe of success there it's it's been huge and so the other thing too is that I do know that there are some people who will carry that burden and I think it's important that we don't assume that we're going to burden someone so to not tell because that's what through friendship and, you know, partnering does, you know, my spouse, I can totally trust, but sometimes people tell me things and I, they want me to safeguard it. So I can't talk to it with my spouse, even though I trust him. So, you know, it's just, how do you, like you said, what conversation do you have before that? And to ask permission or to, to tell them this is, this has got to stay just between us is, and if that's going to be a challenge for you, cause this is big, I give you permission to tell me now that's a no for me. So, yeah, I think that's really important that we start acknowledging that because yeah, sometimes we are putting people in specific instances where it might be difficult. And you made a perfect example there by saying, you know, much like you, my husband is my 
biggest support system, but there's times where I have had somebody tell me, listen, please don't tell your husband or please don't tell, maybe it's please don't tell dad. That's been said to me more than a few times by my teenage daughter. (laughs) (laughs) And there has been times where I remember thinking to myself, oh man, I kind of wish my daughters didn't tell me that because now I have to keep this from somebody that I really don't keep much of anything from. So, you know, if someone acknowledges and says, hey, please don't say this, I wouldn't, but it is, it's kind of like you're biting your tongue for like the next two days until it kind of works itself through your head. But yeah, that's- Or a lifetime. It could be. Depending on what the information is. Right, exactly. And I and I think we need to know there are friends out there who will do that for you. I'm one of those friends for a lot of people. They know they can come to me and what happens, what they tell me stays with me. Um, and if I'm not sure, if I'm like, I, I really think I need to, or we need to process this through with someone else. I ask the permission, you know, can we do that? Or I'm going to need to talk to you know this person about that. Would you give me permission? If they say no, I'm stuck. But that- I just, you know, there are that talk about relationships. There are those kinds of good relationships that I hope everybody has those safe. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's good to acknowledge that you are that kind of friend. But that is, I think, major to sitting with the self. That if you're, you know, you're going to have some people who are with, you're going to have to journey some of that on your own. That if you're willing to sit with it, you're not going to have to sit with it forever. There is a rainbow on the other side or there is treasure or there is, you know, things that become ash that re refertilize the soil that bring life again, you know, so it, it happens in different stages in different ways and over different time frames. But I mean, it's worth it. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're pointing out these different types of support systems. You know, you have your kind of, we'll call it your everyday support, which is just that group of people that are surrounding you, that are allowing you to cry on their shoulder or picking you up when you're down or just being a warm body next to you. And then you kind of had your external support and you talked about that as kind of like the prayers or maybe it's a therapist and things like that. And then you have what I'm going to deem your ride or die support. (laughs) And that's that support system that's going to be there thick and thin. You could tell your deepest, darkest secrets to, and you know it's safe. And I think that's important to point out that it's not, your support system isn't just one type of support system. I think that's a lot of times when we think of support system, we just think of this, you know, ball of support, like, oh, here's my support people. But within that, you need those different types of support and they all play a role. Yes. And you're going to need tools and resources for sure. And what are some of the other than journaling? What were some of the other tools and resources that really kind of helped you through? Were there some other ones? Yeah, there was this one book that um, I remember it was Christmas um, this one year and I saw and I remember it's by Shauna Nequist. I don't remember the name of the book right off the top of my head. And I walked up and I was like, oh, that would be a great Christmas gift. So I picked up like six of them. So I was I'm going to buy one for myself, right? I was just going to get one for everybody else because this is, it was a guided sitting with the suck book. I mean, really, that's what it was. And it was just learning to look at life in different, from different perspectives and how to be still. And so I thought this, this is stuff I'm working through. I need to, you know, equip everyone. And I felt like, you know, God spoke to my heart and said, I didn't ask you to get it for everyone else. You just need to get it for yourself. So I did, I put them all down. 
I got the book and I just left the store. And I felt like over the next few months of reading that book, I just got a lot of insight and grace to extend to myself and just to to be able to stay in bed longer or have, you know, a binge movie night or to just sit on the beach, um, you know, with a blanket in the middle of a storm, if I wanted to just to, and to feel, to feel the darkness or to feel the set, to recognize what, what's out there that I'm feeling and why. I think that was the whole premise of May phase for this. And so even if, so part of what you were saying with the practices was every day, I had a quiet time practice. I still do. And so sometimes that was with journaling, but sometimes it was just with everything's off, like to be in a, you know, maybe just a a candle or even in a dark room, just to be still and just present. You know, if I get emotional, I just want to go do something, go help someone go, um, you know, even with journaling, sometimes that could become a thing. So just being still and not doing was probably the hardest work of sitting with it because then I was just left with me, myself and I, my breathing, my thinking and my feeling. You hit on two major important parts in this is one, you talked about that self-care, acknowledging that you needed something, whether it was watch some movies, curl up with the blanket. And I think a lot of times when we think of self-care, we think of something that has to be big and extravagant and go get ourselves a massage or go do something great for ourselves. But sometimes it can be sit as simple as sitting, watching a movie, sitting down, relaxing. Maybe it's eating bonbons and ice cream. Who knows? But something for ourselves is important. And then you made the point to say, learning to sit in that quietness. And we think of mindfulness when we think of the wellness. We think of, as some one of my clients said, I'm, I'm not the kind of person with yoga mats and twinkle lights. And I think a lot of times when we think of mindfulness and meditative practices, we think of yoga, meditation, you know, the Tibetan bowls and things like that. But, you know, when we talk really about mindfulness, when we get to the very crux of it, it's about sitting in that presence, whether you are praying, whether you are fishing, whether you're taking the dog for a walk, going for a hike, sitting on the beach, listening to the waves. All of these are very mindfulness because you're sitting and you're allowing yourself to acknowledge the presence around you. Mm. You know, in manufacturing, we deal a lot with fishing as kind of that mindfulness meditative practice. And one of the things I always say, you know, when you cast that line What is the first thing that you do? And I could tell you every single person, first of all, they look at me like I'm crazy. And then as I explain to them, they always take a deep inhale. You watch anybody fish, they cast that line and then it's, ah, this is nice. You're right. And it's like, when was the last time you took that breath? So good. And you're right. And I think that is the heart of why sitting with the suck is so important because you're, what you're really saying is I'm getting reconnected. That's what the stillness does for me. It's, it's saying you are a part of something bigger here. You're trying to fix this or run away from that or work this out. Stop. You are 
you're feeling this pull in these different directions because you're part of a greater fabric. And that's what you want. That's you've built this life with a family in a community and a co group of coworkers and purpose and, and all these things matter to you. So when something, uh, the, you know, something breaks in the fabric, like these broken aspects of losing my mom or my husband losing his health and, you know, and us having the loss of dreams when you pursue something and something falls through or COVID, you know, and all the losses we've sustained, it's like being able to pull back and get a different perspective to say, this is why it hurts. And that's okay. And I'm not going to hurt like this forever, but I've got to acknowledge that I'm hurting right now and, and allow others that was the other thing is to, to lean in towards me that I wasn't always the one who was extending. Sometimes I needed to open my arms and be inviting people to extend back. Yeah. I mean, really, this is kind of highlighted that recipe for sitting with the suck. And I've been kind of actually taking notes because it's, it's so amazing listening to you talk. And it was one of the things that when I first met you that totally attracted to me with bringing you on the podcast, because it's, first of all, you're so real in just laying it all out there for us. And, you know, when you talk about your support systems and your different types of supports and that journaling and really finding that way to be mindful in some ways and allowing yourself to feel because I think so many times we try to numb it out whether we're numbing it out with alcohol or drugs or just putting on that happy face and ignoring it we're not allowing ourselves to feel what we're actually kind of going through and then finding that good book that you can kind of relate to and I think that's so important that a lot of times we pass over it because we collect all these books, especially if you're a book person. I feel like if you're a book person, you're collecting all these books, but you're a lot of times you're not allowing that one book to talk to you. And you actually did that. It found me. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Brandy, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and really having this raw and honest conversation. And can you let everybody listening know how they can reach out to you, connect with you, hear more? Yes, absolutely. And Laura, this was absolutely delightful for me. You're savvy and wisdom and just bringing out the best in others and for the benefit of not only reminding me what has been good for me, but, you know, hopefully using this as a tool to encourage and help others is, is just brings me great joy. So thank you for facilitating this. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the best way. Brandy Zenzel, Z-E-N-Z-E-L. And I am a Mary Kay sales director and a girlfriend's guide. So I can, you know, hopefully encourage you along the way with other things. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's so great. And I will go ahead and put the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so everyone can find you. And all of that, I am so grateful for having you on. And I can't wait for, you know, what the future brings for you. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Go make sure you connect with Brandy on LinkedIn. As always, don't forget to eat your effing veggies. And remember to give yourself the space to feel. I'll talk to you all next week.